Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth, where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when the mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And today we continue our discussion on spiritual warfare with a very special guest. His name is Dr. Carl Payne. Uh, he received his Master's of Divinity and Doctorate of Ministry from Western Seminary in Portland. Uh, and for the last 25 years, Payne has trained people through his discipleship and apologetics materials. He serves as the pastor of leadership development at Antioch Bible Church, is the founder of the Transferable Cross Training Foundation, and serves as the chaplain for the Seattle Seahawks. Carl, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How are you doing this evening? Well, as uh, Dave Ramsey likes to say, I'm doing better than I deserve. I'm still breathing. Somebody didn't get that alternative, so I'm not complaining, man. <laughs> So we wanted to get you on to talk about uh, spiritual warfare because you do have a book out, Spiritual Warfare, Christians, Demonation, and Deliverance. And um, the one thing that I wanted to ask right off the bat is what got you started in ministry? In ministry? Yeah. Do you mean do you mean this aspect of ministry or do you just mean ministry itself? Well, where you're at right now, basically. Uh, where I'm at right now. Uh, well, I became a Christian June 17th, 1970. Uh, was not raised in a religious home at all. I was raised in a home where academics and athletics mean everything. And the religion was a, you know, a pat on the head and a waste of time. If you really, if you really needed it, it was fine. In other words, it wasn't negative. It wasn't opposed to it. It was just not relevant or necessary. I became a Christian June 17, 1970, through the Young Life Ministry. I didn't go to church, but I was willing to chase the girls at the Young Life meetings, and uh, and uh, God used my carnality to bring me to Himself. Uh, I I knew within just a very short period of time, uh, just something deep inside of me said I was either going to be a pastor, a missionary, or a youth minister, and. Uh, I just I could do other things, but just nothing else satisfied me the way the, the way this you know talking to people about Jesus uh, did, and I just sensed something was was very different. Uh, I had had my heart, and I know my my poor pop he's he's with Jesus now, but he he wanted me in professional athletics, and I worked you know twenty three years. Uh, with NFL football players, I know there's a level of, and some of the some major league baseball players. There, there are a lot of people that think they're good, and there are few, very few that really are. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I was, uh, you know, ever ever that caliber. But there was sure the desire to, to, you know, be involved at in athletics at a professional level. But uh, when I, when Jesus grabbed me, he grabbed me. And uh, I ended up uh, leaving a, uh, college at, at one level where I was uh, enjoying getting ready to play baseball. Uh, let my dad know that I was going to be going to seminary and and uh, 
that was that was the beginning of vocational training and such. The intro into the uh, the whole world of deliverance and demonization really came at the end of of uh, Bible school, seminary training, and actually being out involved in vocational ministry and finding out that there are people that just don't fit the paradigm on spiritual warfare that I had been taught, uh, which is essentially uh, oppression is an irritation, but there's really nothing much to it. And, uh, uh, you know, you claim the blood, you quote Bible verses, you pray, and you're fine. And uh, full-blown demonization, which... You know, you have you run buck naked, you uh, howl at the moon, you sleep in the tombs, and you hurt people. And I never saw many people like that uh, at, at Bible school, seminary, in my church. So I figured, like most of my colleagues, it was just a topic to ignore. Uh, at some point or other, though, in working with people on a daily basis, I found out there were people that, you know, what they were dealing with was uh, it didn't seem to be physiological. It didn't seem to be mental. Oftentimes they had already explored those venues and just coming up empty, and yet it seemed to be real. It was not uh, nearly as severe as the the Matthew 8 gathering demoniac, and yet it was far more severe than just, you know, it's a nuisance, blow it off and keep walking. Mm. And uh, I, I watched how there were people who were in their profession, every bit as as, uh, accurate and straightforward about their Christian salvation as I was, and yet their experience was something that uh, was very different. And uh, I just kind of grew tired of challenging their sanity or their sincerity instead of maybe finding out is the paradigm that I was raised with through Bible school and seminary, uh, I won't say wrong, just say incomplete. And uh, are there a group of people who were on the inside, but they felt like they were on the outside looking in? And uh, as I was forced, I'll just say it that way, I didn't volunteer for it, but I was kind of forced to deal with some of that. It just became very apparent to me that uh, although the education I got, I'm glad I got, and I had teachers that I'm sure were very sincere when they said to I just relegate the whole demon thing with 3 o'clock in the morning and whack jobs. Uh, I'm sure they meant that. They probably thought that because that's what I thought initially. Mm-hmm. I just I just realized there's far more to this than I had been led to believe. And you know, I've now been working with this stuff for more than 35 years. And by this stuff, I mean with Christians, pastors, missionaries, uh, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers. Uh, uh, I found out the stereotypes that I had. You know, you have to be a gutter drunk. You have to be a, a drug addict. You have to be an occultist. Uh, you just have to be somebody that uh, they say they're Christians, but there's just nothing in their life that would show that. Uh, that's not the stereotype I run into at all. Mm-hmm. I run in. I run into people deeply committed to Christ. Uh, I. I uh, Fairly recently, it was just this last year, but I could repeat the story many times. Had a pastor fly in from out of state, and he said, "How come I feel like mentally I'm just getting beat up? You know, no matter what I do in my head, I hear you can call a voice, a thought, an idea, and you're not supposed to say that out loud, or you'll get labeled schizophrenic by uh, you know by people that are naturalists typically. But unfortunately, Christians have drugged that in." And uh, in, into their into their vocabulary and their thinking, but he just said, "I just feel like no matter what I do, I get beat up. I'm a bad husband, bad teacher, bad preacher, bad trainer, bad discipler, bad church planter. Everything I do is wrong." And uh, he looked at me and he said, "You don't look very surprised. Why not? Did you hear what I just said?" And I said, "I heard you." And I, and I said, "How many times do you shoot a dead person?" And he looked at me and he said, "Well, why would you shoot a dead person? They're already dead." And I said, if you were really a theological reject that God has no interest in, uh, you know, you're, you're just a, you're a dog, just just like you've been hearing in your head. Oh, why would the enemy waste good ammo on somebody that they already have in their hand? And he looked at me and he said, man, I've been chasing hidden sin and anything else I can think of uh, uh, just because I thought there's got to be something. And I said, maybe somebody just doesn't like you. And uh, he said, well, in a sense, you're, you're saying that's a badge of honor. And I said, well, I don't want demons to like me. I don't want to invite their arrows. 
John says that, uh, you know, they accuse us, Revelation 12, 10, and 11, day and night. Uh, he says where that comes from, the devil. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 6 is very clear where our battle is not against flesh and blood, etc. He doesn't hide that. He's not ashamed of that. And he also says they shoot arrows. And I said I would suggest they probably shoot arrows at people that bother them. And the people that bother them are probably Christians that actually want to serve Christ. So I told him, I said, maybe you've screwed all kinds of things up in your life. We can talk about that. But maybe you're getting shot at because you're actually trying to do something right. He just looked at me and said, man, I've never thought of it like that. I said, well, it's a consideration at least. So... It's just been a, uh, there weren't a lot of books out. I guess it was one of the reasons I I thought I was supposed to write the book that I did. I, I kind of learned, and I said in the in the uh, intro to it to the young lady that the very first person I ever worked with on this, uh, I'll give you this story later if you want it in this, in this interview, but uh, I, I just felt like, I, I said I wish I could have met you and your family 10 years later after I actually knew a little bit about what I was doing instead of just a complete surprise to the pastor because the pastor had ignored this subject all the way through his training. And I, I, I felt bad about that, although I thought if it hadn't been her, it would have been a him, you know, someone older, somebody younger. Because uh, I, I just didn't think that way at all. Uh, people that told me they heard ideas or voices should probably be with a counselor, uh, Probably if they say they're Christians, they're either not sincere, they're very weak-willed, maybe they think they're Christians, but they're really not. I just kind of followed the stereotypical stuff I'd been taught, and uh, I realized, guys, at one point that I was not helping people, I was discouraging people. Uh, They were hearing in their mind, and you can call it voice, thought, idea, and impression. He's not going to believe you. He thinks you're lying. He thinks you're weak. You can't talk to the pastors. No one at church understands anyway. Your prayers bounce off the ceiling. You waste your time reading the Bible. If God ever loved you, he doesn't love you anymore. So, you know, why do you, why just, you know, just forget it all. You know, put a bullet through your head. You know, at least you can have peace instead of all this constant nonsense. I I, I realized that in my, I was sincere, but I was sincerely confusing people when I treated this whole thing as if it was just a joke. So mm-hmm. I can't undo that, nor can many of the colleagues my, my age and, you know, give or take it's just what we were taught. Right. Well, now, over the years, Justin and I have discussed spiritual warfare with a number of individuals, uh, both Christians and those who practice the occult. Uh, and one thing that I find that's very consistent within the occult is how about they or how they go about, um, I guess, understanding and dealing with spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare is mostly a Christian concept. Uh but with the occult, they tend to use obviously all these little like smudging sticks and different incantations and objects to try to rid a spirit from a person or a house. But obviously, that's not how it works with within the Christian community. Um, it, but what's interesting is that with some of the individuals who had worked with occultists in ridding a spirit, they claim that these spirits have disappeared and never come back. Now. Based on your own research and understanding of spiritual warfare, I mean, is that something you think that the occultists have some kind of strength in? Or is this more like uh, demonic entities who are now hiding but yet still working behind the scenes in order to make the oppressed individual believe it's gone while still? Yeah, I got you. It's a good question. Um, first, I would preface this by saying that uh, I, I don't consider myself an expert in this whole subject. I have other people that do. I won't. I won't claim that title. And I would say that I have even less information in dealing with uh, full-blown occultists. I have worked with them, but most of the people I deal with are Christians or at least professing Christians. So I will just qualify that before I answer your question. I will give you an opinion. Uh, I don't have any question that from Scripture, it's it's very clear that demons have rank, they have organization. Uh, that's that's not a new thought at all. In other words, they're they're very much like I call them. They're very much like like army and navy and marines and such. There are some that are stronger than others. There are some that uh, have more authority than others. 
And uh, when people have asked me, how do I think that it's possible for occultists or shamans or different ones like that who seem to have success dealing with with demons at times uh, or spirits, whether they would call them demons or evil spirits or, you know, whatever, the guiding spirits, they, they give them different names. I, I believe that uh, when there's a reality behind that, that what you've probably been dealing with is the fact that uh, demons do have uh, rank and authority, and demons will respond to the one having highest authority addressing them. As a Christian, there is no one with higher authority. Uh, the authority that Jesus Christ gave Christians in Luke ten eighteen to 20 uh, is absolute. Uh, you know, I have given you the authority to tread on. It means step on. The spirit scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, they shall in no wise harm you. However, nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice because your names are recorded in heaven. So I have said that if you are a Christian, and that means your name is recorded in heaven, then you have been delegated or given authority from Christ to step on, and he says, over all the power of the enemy. So and they, demons don't fear people. I tell them they fear Christ who lives in you. Uh, if they are dealing with two people, neither of them are Christians, uh, I believe it is very possible that the, demon, the uh, individual who has the demons holding higher authority or higher rank can still tell demons of, with, with lesser authority what to do. And they will respond to the one having higher authority. So if you've got a shaman, uh, you know, you've got a, a, a witch, a warlock, somebody that is truly, not just a game, not just a fake, but truly involved with the real thing, uh, it doesn't uh, surprise me at all that you could have uh, opportunities where they can successfully, you know, quote, help or deliver or whatever word they would want to use uh, not because uh, they're of God, uh, but simply because the demons that they are involved with hold a higher rank than the ones that they're telling what to do. And the demons with lesser rank, uh, they're better soldiers than we are. They will respond to whoever has highest authority. I was asked this question just a couple of weeks ago on a radio interview, the same, same question, basically. And uh, what I said was, I believe if you ever are going to be in a position of saying you are permanently rid of demonization, I know of no other way other than through Christ. Uh, if someone says, does that mean that uh, all the others are fakes and none of that could be real? I say, no, I'm not saying that. I would just suggest that uh, uh, demons aren't stupid. And if they're wanting to elevate the authority of one because they know that you know he can continue to have more more of an impact on others, I don't think they have any problem throwing you know one of their one of their rookies under the bus to help elevate the authority structure of one that they want to get you know a lot of a lot of impact out of. I mean it's smart. So uh, permanent, I would say they never have that guarantee outside of Christ being able to, to tell demons to get lost. Yeah. I, I believe that that can happen as long as the one who's who's doing the telling uh, is involved with demons that have greater authority than the ones that they're you know giving the demands or commands to. Okay. So you had mentioned at, um, that in the beginning of the book that there's a, a young gal that uh, you had started out with, and um, you were you're talking about how in in ministry you're kind of taught that if anybody has um, inner, inner thoughts or inner uh, conversations with something that's not there, you're just supposed to kind of throw them to a counselor or I'm assuming a psychiatrist. Do they not really teach about demonization in, in basic uh, ministry uh, theology, or is it more so you have to like specialize in that sort of a thing? I would I would say it this way. I would say that what was, I mean, when I was in school in the 70s, mm-hmm. and I'm certain it was true of of people decades before me and, and several decades after me, it was simply not taught in most schools, Bible schools or seminaries. You had some. Uh, here's where I have, I have told, I, I don't come out of a charismatic background, although I have people assume I must because I deal with demons. Uh, in other words, that stereotype is just there, and that isn't something that charismatic-oriented uh, schools were running from. It was just something that the non-charismatic-oriented schools thought was just part of touchy-feely. You know, you, you have all these feelings, you just don't have Scripture to work with it. And that really meant 
uh, your paradigm is offensive to me because I don't agree with your paradigm. I don't really know why because I don't have scriptural basis for saying it other than traditionally we don't teach that. So, no, I would say it would be very honest to say if you were interviewing very many pastors my age or, you know, give or take a couple of decades, um, that they would just say we just ignored it. I mean, just, if, you know, if someone raised the question, it would usually be something like, listen, uh, Paul talks about your flesh in Romans 7, Galatians 5. You've got all your hands full as you, you know, that, that'll, that'll occupy as much time as you need. You don't need to start chasing something that is, you know, not really understood that much anyway. And frankly, I don't even really want to understand that because as long as you read your Bible and memorize scripture, you'll be just fine. So was, was it actively discouraged? I would say it was either actively discouraged or ignored in many schools and many circles. Now, I think that's changed. I mean, I have, I have spoken the last 10 years. I have, uh, uh, you know, spoke at schools that when I was going through a school would have never allowed anybody to approach this subject. I mean, unless it was just in sheer mockery, I suppose. Uh, it just, they wouldn't. And, uh, I, you know, some of the same people and some of the same schools that told me when I first stepped into this, you, you need to stay away from that. You know, you've, Carl, you've established yourself as a pretty decent Bible teacher. And uh, you need to understand that if you start talking about this very loud, you're going to lose any confidence of people to want to hear anything you have to say because they're going to think you're whacked on this. And uh, even if you're right on some other things, there'll just be that kind of guilt by association assumption rolling on. And you'd say, well, that's that's unfortunate because that's, that's immaturity at best. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, at any rate, what I'm saying is that gap has closed in the last decade. I've been to reform seminaries. I've been to, you know, recovenant seminaries. I've been to dispensational schools. I've had... I've had schools again that uh, would would in the in the past just they don't don't even raise the thought now coming in and saying, you know we we really need some information on this subject what's going on, so uh, and that's that's outside of the charismatic circle as I told you the charismatic circle you know has not run from this, the 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 the, the stereotype if you want it you know was I'm not saying it's always accurate but I'm saying stereotypes there's usually something behind it was the evangelical non-charismatic church is uh, you know so focused on the Bible that uh, you know if, if there is anything as as true demonization it's got to look like the Matthew eight was someone that is just totally whacked and uh, in the in the charismatic uh, circle it's like you know there's a demon for everything you know a demon underneath your coffee cup and in your right. bag of popcorn or anything else and and you put the two of those together and you have people that are concerned about how they appear in front of other people or maybe i would just say they're more concerned about being politically correct than biblically correct it's just easier to ignore the subject and just say i don't know what i think but i don't want to get drawn into it right. Well, now, through my research, um, I actually graduated with a bachelor's degree in religion, uh, Christian religion. Um, and in my research, we find that, uh, at least when it comes to Christians, that demonic entities and spiritual warfare is more so uh, a, a war to keep Christians from doing the work of God, uh, from being a disciple and leading others to Christ. Uh, and then we have... The occult side where we see demons interact with these people, give them what appear to be certain abilities, uh, or strengths such as mediumship, uh, you know, psychic type stuff. Uh, but where does spiritual warfare fit in with the individuals who are neither Christian nor are they on a spiritual level at all? You know, such as the atheists, for example. Um, how does spiritual warfare in a sense affect them? Oh, I think it can. Uh... I don't think uh, demons care about uh, your church. I don't think they care about your philosophy. I don't think they care whether you like Immanuel Kant, David Hume, uh, Charles Swindoll, or, or uh, you know, they don't care about any of that. All they care about is if they've got an opportunity for someone that's open to entertaining their games. And uh, I would say that, uh, and again, I don't know what all your research was, and I don't know who you read. I don't know anything about where you graduated from. I, I'm not attacking you that. I just don't know any of that. But uh, I would say that the basic premise was usually demons are trying to distract Christians. Uh, I've told people their first job is to keep you from Christ. Just make that seem silly or 
you know, there's either either you're so unworthy of Christ he would never accept you, or you're so smart you don't need Christ because you know religious people are just bumpkins anyway. Need an excuse to to live because they're too weak. Um, uh, if they can keep people away from Christ, that's their number one game. If they miss out on that, I believe their plan shifts to how do I discourage you, distract you, distort truth so that. Uh, you know, you don't feel like you're worthy or capable of helping anybody else meet Christ. So I think that's their game. I think with the non-Christian, the other side of it, I mean, they're they're very happy to. Uh, I don't care whether you're a theist or an atheist. You know, they can use a they can use an atheist in a way to again try and shame theists or try and talk them out of there. You know, you're you're an idiot. Why would you believe something like this? Uh, you know, David Hume. You know, the only statements that you and I'm not saying he was demonized. He's dead. You know centuries ago but you know the only meaningful statement that you can make is a statement that can be you know tested empirically uh if it's not empirical it's not meaningful and uh, that that means that anyone who believes in miracles or the supernatural then cannot make meaningful statements and uh, you know people are shamed into thinking gosh people like that are so smart i'm 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 slower man I'm, i mean I, I if i was alive i would have asked david hume you know can you tell me how the, the skepticism that you're so famous for, uh, you know, what what is, how do you test that in a meaningful way empirically? How do you test skepticism? <laughs> you believe it, you don't test it empirically. And yet one of his major theses for being able to put down Christians was if it can't, something can't be tested empirically, it can't be considered meaningful. And yet the very discipline that he is known for, skepticism, was something that couldn't be tested empirically. So I guess I could say skepticism is not meaningful. Uh, if I said that in one of my philosophy classes, I would have had teachers just look at me and say, there's no way you can, you know, d- do away with, uh, uh, you know, David Hume in a sentence like that. And I go, well, he has no problem thinking he can, you know, do away with Christians with a sentence or two. But, well, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I'm assuming you've had numerous cases of uh, demonization from uh, just oppression all the way up to uh what we would call possession. Uh, has there ever been a case in your your career where you felt that somebody was so far gone that they couldn't be saved? Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, well, I'd answer that two ways. I would say, do I believe that's a reality? No. I think as long as someone is breathing, I think that there still could be hope. I mean, again, I think anybody that was in the Gadarenes in Jesus' day that saw the guy that was naked, you know, living in the tombs, hurting people and breaking chains would have said, that cat doesn't have a chance, man. <laughs> And uh, yet it isn't very far into it. You see him seated, clothed in his own right mind and, and you know, wanting to become a disciple of Christ after Christ, you know, set him free. So I don't, I think you can feel that way. I want to say I don't believe that's true. I would say, on the other hand, pragmatically, the people that I have witnessed over more than 30 years of dealing successfully with demons were people who wanted it to stop. And so I have told people over the years, if they're not, in other words, if you called me and said, my wife, my mother, my sister, my best friend, my neighbor, I think they're really involved with this stuff. And if I said to you, are they wanting help? And you said, no, but I want it for them. I would say, we're wasting each other's time. Uh, until the person who is involved with the demonization is the person wanting help, there may be other people that know how to get past that. I don't. I, and over, you know, Again, I've been working with this a long time. 
And I have not run into people who wanted help, who were Christians, who wanted out of this, or who were non-Christians, who were willing to turn their life over to Christ so that they would have authority base for making them leave. I've not seen them be unsuccessful in walking away from demons. On the other hand, I have worked with people that uh, either you know, were hiding things. In other words, I know I have opened doors. Uh, topos is the Greek word for it out of Ephesians 4.27, giving the devil a place, space, or territory. And that's used of Christians, by the way, not non-Christians. Paul says in verse 26, deal quickly with your sin. He uses anger there. You could say your lust, your immorality, uh, you know, your envy, your unforgiveness, your fear. You can plug in anything you want there. His point is deal with your sin. Why? Verse 27, when you don't, you potentially give away topos. It meant literally the etymology was to give away a place, a space, or a territory of control to your enemy. That's what the word meant. And again, anyone that wants to argue that Ephesians 4 is being written to non-Christians, I would say, uh, that you're you're an ideologue. You know you're not certainly not taking scripture. You know for what it says in context. You, you know you can make it say what you want, I suppose. But he's dealing with Christians, talking about giving away places, spaces, or territories. What I have found is if if a Christian is involved with demonization, they've given away places, spaces, or territories of control. Doesn't mean their whole life. Doesn't mean they're owned by demons. Demons are squatters. Demons don't own anything. There's one creator. That's God. Demons are just part of the creation. Uh, if if there is a person saying that I know I love Christ, but there are areas I refuse to give to him, a demon will simply say, we do not have to cooperate because this person doesn't care. This person is actually giving us permission to continue to bother them. Because if they cared, they would ante state. is the Greek word that's used, ante, you know, against and remain or stand, to remain against or resolutely oppose. You're told in James 4, Seven and eight, resist the devil. That's your word. state that he'll flee from you. First Peter chapter five, six, seven, eight, nine, resist the devil firmly in your faith. You know he will flee from you. Paul in Ephesians six thirteen, same word, doing all you can to stand. Demon will say, if you don't want anything to do with us, then your responsibility is to reject us, resist us. If you're a Christian saying, I don't care, I'm, I'm playing the games, and I've had people say that. I'll say, well, you're surely free to play the game, but. You're, you're saying, can't I throw fairy dust over you so the bad things that are happening will stop? When on the other hand, you're saying, I have no intention of allowing Christ to control my, my life or at least different areas that I know are not pleasing to him. I'll just say, you're, you're basically, whether you know it or not, you're telling the demons, go ahead and bother me. I don't care. Because if I cared, I would say enough. So have I met people, you know, that, that were in a position where they were unwilling Yes, I have. And do I believe they can be helped? I would tell you not until they change their direction, not until they say, I feel beat up, but I want this to stop. Um, so have I run into that? Yes, I have. Might there be other people that would give you a different answer? They know how to work with that in a way I don't. Uh, that's certainly possible. But uh, I, I would end that you know, question just saying this. I, have, I say in the book, and I've said to many people, when you're dealing with demonization, the person who is demonized is way more important to the equation than who they're talking to. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, a person can know, you know, have a lot of understanding of demonization, but if the person that is demonized is saying, I don't give a rip, I don't care, demons do not volunteer. They're not that nice. They don't volunteer to leave. They're, they're, they're not that mm -hmm. nice. Well, now, in regards to this, do you think that these people, and I'm, I'm sure not all of them, but some of them at least, um, is this something humanistic that keeps them from wanting help? Uh, or do you think it's, it's just part of the demonic oppression and affliction that's preventing them from seeking the help? Yeah, I would go three different directions, and if you call me tomorrow, I may give you a different answer. <laughs> I, I don't know. But right now what I would say is, is I would say that sometimes my flesh is a reality, and uh, baby, I love my flesh. I had a gentleman come in my office, a leader in a church, and he said, uh, I'm involved in a relationship with somebody other than my wife, uh, but there's so many things that are fouled up, I would really like to address these things. And I said, you're involved in an adulterous relationship with someone other than your wife. And he said, oh, she doesn't mind. It's a piece of paper. We both know it. We're just together for, you know, for children. But it's a very open uh, relationship, and besides, you know, that's kind of puritanical thinking. God doesn't care about that anymore. At least that's what they teach in my church. And I said, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. And he said, what are you saying? And I said, uh, I said, we're done. 
And he said, well, how can we be done? We didn't even get started. He said, do you know how much stuff I would be turning my back on giving to Christ? I said, I'm not concerned about what you're telling me that you would give him. I'm concerned about the fact that you are knowingly telling me there are things you won't give to him. Mm-hmm. Because as long as you're saying, I won't give this up, if, let's just say if, you're truly involved with demons, you're giving them permission to continue to bother you. So I, I would say sometimes it's just flesh. Sometimes people love the world you know, more than they love God. You know, wasn't Jesus had talked about people's deeds are evil. They love darkness sometimes. And even as a Christian, you don't have to be taught to live in carnality. Uh, you, you don't. It, it's a breeze floating downstream with all the dead stuff. You know, the work is swimming against stream. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so that would be one answer. I would say the. I would say another one is bitterness. I have worked many times with, with uh, or refused to work with. We had to get through it with Christians that just say, you know what, you don't know what they did to me, what they said to me. Uh, I don't have to forgive them. I don't have to love them. They're beyond, uh, you know, being forgivable, and I refuse. And uh, my counselor even agrees, or my pastor even agrees, or my friends even agree, or my, you know, whoever it is. And I'll say they may agree, but as long as you're going to allow bitterness and unforgiveness to control you, the other side is going to push that. You know, you don't deserve this. If God really loved you, why would he Why would He let you go through this? See, God doesn't love you. God isn't fair. This isn't fair. God isn't good. You know, all, all those Christians are just hypocrites, yada, yada. Let them go through something bad and see how they handle it. You know, for, forget it. You don't have to say, I'm sorry. In other words, they will feed it. And then on the other hand, they'll say, because you're unwilling to forgive, the Bible says that you're to forgive others as Christ forgives you, Colossians 3. 13, very strong on that. Ephesians chapter 4, 32, very strong on that. The whole you know parable starting in verse 21 of uh, Matthew 18 through verse 35, very strong on that. We're to forgive the way God forgives us. A demon will say, you know, if you're unwilling to forgive others, then why should we quit picking on you? Because you are living in defiance against God. If you were really serious about your faith, you'd be a good forgiver. So I would say that there are people that value their ability to continue to hold grudges over obedience and the other one I would say is fear. That's number three. I, I see people where I believe the scripture, I trust God, etc. But you know, I, I sleep with a nightlight on because I just know something's going to get me. And uh, I'm not saying if you use a nightlight, you can't do that. I'm just saying that on one hand, I say Jesus loves me. This I know. And on the other hand, you say, but I'm sure whatever out there is going to get me because I don't think Jesus will really protect me, or at least I'm afraid he won't. Mm-hmm. And so they are absolutely controlled by fear, you know, sometimes very irrational fear. And if demons are promoting the fear, they'll promote the fear. And then it's like they'll play both sides of it. And, and I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, you have someone coming in here and you'll say, I just feel like I'm a horrible Christian because I don't share my faith with others like I know I should. And I, I hear in my mind that I'm a, I'm a weak, terrible Christian because I don't share my faith. And then I actually shared my faith one day, and I was so excited. I went to tell a friend about, you know, someone had come to Christ, and I was so excited. And that same thought, that same voice, that same idea that had said I was a horrible Christian because I didn't share my faith, now whispers at me and says, oh, you're proud. Look how you take credit for something only God can do. God's the only one that can open a heart, and you're taking credit for that. So confess your sin. So I said, so if you don't share your faith, you're beat up as a loser. And if you do share your faith, and apparently you're filled with pride, you can't win either way. You can't win either way. And that's how they play that game. So carnality, my own flesh, uh, Galatians 5, very clear, verse 16, that when I walk controlled by the Spirit, I do not have to carry out the strong desires of the flesh. But 17, talking to the same group of believers, says the Spirit wars against your flesh, the flesh against Spirit. They are in opposition to one another that you may not do the things you choose to do. He's talking to believers. How do I know when I'm controlled by the Spirit? He says, you'll see verses 22 and 23. How do I know when I'm controlled by the flesh? You'll see verses 19 through 21. All of that is addressed to believers. So that can be a factor in your in an answer to your question. I believe that the unwillingness to forgive is a biggie, and I believe that the walking in fear is a biggie. Any of the three of those, I think, could, could allow or promote that uh, situation you were asking about. Well, thank you. All right. Well, we are getting close to uh, the time that we have to let you go. So I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the book, um, any way they can contact you, any information you want to give out. The floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Uh, Well, you know, Amazon has the book. 
Um, I found out it's a bestseller on Amazon. I didn't. I didn't know that. One of the Amazon people told me, uh, which which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Barnes and Noble, the Christian, Christian bookstores. Uh, it, it's in Christian bookstores. It's it's if you want it, you can find it. You know, just just uh, look up uh, again either my name Carl with a K, Carl Payne, or Spiritual Warfare. You you can grab it if you want it. Uh, it's not the only book out there. I've never said it is. There are a lot of good writers out there. Marcus Warner is an excellent writer in this subject. The late Mark Bubeck was terrific. Fred Dickinson, terrific. Tim Warner, terrific. There's a number of guys that are out there that they know what they're doing. They're not fakes. Uh, it's not just one one book on one corner. Uh, my my website, it's supposed to be under construction right now because it has been... Uh, let go for way too long. So I've got someone actually working on it now, but it's just carlpain.org, www.carlpain.org. Or you can go to www.transferablecrosstraining.org. Either one of those will take you, and you'll see books I've written on discipleship. That's really, I'm a discipleship trainer. That's my job at work, leadership and discipleship training. Guys, just part of that is becoming familiar with how the demonic thing works. I'll give you one more thought, and you didn't ask for this, but I'll toss it to you. I've had people say, how does this not consume everything you do in ministry? I've said, because I just approach it as one piece of the ministry pie. You better learn how to deal, how to share your faith, deal with assurance, deal with forgiveness, deal with divorce, deal with boyfriends, girlfriends, you know. Oh, I mean, there's so many different subjects. How to have a Bible study, uh, etc. I just say the warfare is just one more piece of that pie where you go, it's not with everybody, and it's not everywhere. But when it's there, you need to be able to step up and not run from it. Say, okay, let's deal with it. Awesome, awesome. So I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Uh, folks, you've been listening to Paratruth Radio. We are letting Carl go, but stay tuned. We will be back in the post-show right after this. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to patreon.com forward slash paratruth where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Again, that's paratruthradio.com forward slash paratruth. Go check it out. Hello and welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we just gotten off the phone with Dr. Carl Payne, the author of Spiritual Warfare, Christians, Demonization, and Deliverance. Uh, now, though this particular episode was not about the book itself, we did get some insight in the book. Uh, it is a bestseller on Amazon. So if you guys want to check it out, learn more about spiritual warfare and how to handle uh, demonic attacks, oppression, affliction, this is a pretty good book to get. Uh, you can go ahead and check out the customer reviews. It's got a ton of them. And I'm, I'm surprised. I was actually, I was checking it out. I was looking at it. 87% five star, 2% one star, 9% four star and 2% three star. That's just incredible to have that many five stars. You know, not many books actually get that. Um, but nonetheless, great discussion. Interesting regarding spiritual warfare. Uh, any takeaways for you, Justin, after talking to Dr. Carl? Um, I think one thing that kind of like how we had said last week too, but, but, uh, he had mentioned that, you know, that there's nobody who cannot be affected by spiritual warfare, but it's going to be those more of faith because why would you recruit somebody who's already playing on your team basically is what the reference was. So it, it was interesting to, to hear him reiterate that. Um, but I, I did like too, that unlike some, some pastors or even some people of faith admitted that he doesn't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. What about you? Was there anything different to your own beliefs compared to what he was saying? No, no. I mean, I, uh, everything sounded pretty straightforward and good to me. Uh, I mean, I agree with everything he was saying. Um, you know, one thing that I liked that he brought up was the idea of the flesh and how as the, with the flesh, you yourself have the choice to choose to find help 
or discredit help or decide to hang out with, you know, with their demons or whatever, uh, which I know we have talk to people who disagree, who think that it's demonic entities who are the only source of, uh, of your actions, basically. Mm. Um, and it, it, I think what was interesting to me, there's a couple things actually, cause he, he discussed the idea of the door in Ephesians four, you know, opening doors, which I thought was pretty interesting to, to hear about. Cause I've, I've read Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians numerous times and never really, uh, picked up on the idea that, there are doors to be opened, even though you and I believe that there are doors to be opened and we've discussed it. I've never seen it in a biblical sense. So that was interesting. Um, but also when he talked about the, 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 the two sides, extreme sides of Christianity, uh, you know, you have the one side that is like, there's a demon under my coffee mug to quote him, you know, where you have the other side, which is basically just to ignore the whole idea of demonic entities. Uh, and you and I have met both sides. Uh, and obviously we're very strongly against both sides because I think giving too much credit to demons is just to overpower them and to undermine them would be to underpower them. So there needs to be a healthy balance in between there. You need to realize that yes, there are demonic entities out there. They're, they are oppressing everybody, uh, in one sense or another. Um, maybe not all of the time, but nonetheless, they're going to visit at some point and you may not even know it. Um, there's actually a lot of things he talked about. Um, and probably one of the, the ones that stick most, and this will stick with me as time goes on, as we talk about the occult, uh, in the future is the idea of the different principalities, uh, the different, um, ranks of the demonic entities. Uh, the powers. Uh, and I thought it, it interesting when I asked him about how, how is it that it would seem or appear that occultists can cast out demonic entities without using the name of Jesus, you know, and him expressing the idea that perhaps those people, whether they're witches or warlocks or mediums or some other psychics or whatever, uh, perhaps have a greater demon working behind the scenes on their side and hence is capable of casting out the other demon to better glorify the more powerful demon and to raise him up and to ultimately, uh, I guess, tighten its grasp around the individual of which he's working. Um, and I thought that was really interesting to think about. Uh, just the idea of that happening, uh, it makes a lot of sense too, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the end, it's not about the demons individually. It's about, for them, it's about Satan and it's about pulling humanity away from Christ. Um, and did that mean, and of course it's pride. I mean, they, demons have fallen originally. Satan fell because of pride. Um, and, and so it would make sense <laughs> that a greater demon would cast out another demon. Um, to do such things. Of course, it's still, it's a little weird though, because that kind of goes against scripture in a sense. Um, because there is a story of which the Pharisees are say to Jesus that, or they don't say it to Jesus, but behind Jesus' back and Jesus knows that they say it. Uh, look, he's casting, he's casting out demons through the power of demons. And Jesus refers and re- refers. Jesus replies and says, uh, basically that Satan cannot cast out Satan for a house divided against itself cannot stand. Um, so I guess the real question is, are they really still, are they really casting out these lesser demons or are these lesser demons just stepping back to allow it to appear as though they're being cast out? And how does that really work? Obviously, I think there's a lot of little, you know, technicalities that go within this. Uh, we don't know spirit, the spiritual side of things. We don't understand how the demon demonic ranks work or angelic ranks for that matter either. Uh, there's still so many little loose ends, I think, in that conversation, which is something hopefully we'll be able to cover and help to solidify later on. The, the one other thing that, uh, I, I think we'll end on, uh, unless you have any other thoughts, was the fact that he had said that unless the person that is being demonized wants help, they really cannot help them 
because it, it's basically going to do nothing is basically what he was saying. If if mm-hmm. they don't want the help, he can't get the demon out because why would a demon leave if that person just wants to stay in the state that they're in? And right. um, one thing that uh, came to mind with that is uh, Heidi had brought uh, an article, our friend Heidi from Crime Crack and TSR, uh, brought me an article from, I believe it was Puerto Rico. Don't quote me on that. It was somewhere in South America um, where a, uh, I don't know if he was a pastor or just a person. He was trying to cast out a, a demon from, exercise a demon from a woman. And they actually threw her into a fire to try and cast out this demon. And she ended up perishing, and now they're being prosecuted uh, because of it. But um, also, too, I- I'm pretty sure you've heard this story of the the mother that poured bleach down her daughter's throat because mm-hmm. she said that she was possessed by a demon. Yeah, um, bleach down the throat. Uh, I've read stories of people drowning, uh, dunking them under the water to try to cast out demons, and they drown. Uh, I've, I've heard so many different things. Uh Choking, choking a person until the demon leaves, and then of course they get strang- they're strangled and they die. Uh, obviously, these are all idiots who don't know how to exercise a demon and do it in the most ridiculously and just obscene, you know, horrific way. It's like it, you would think in order to save somebody, the best way to do that is to not hurt them, and yet these people, you know, like. <laughs> It's it's just crazy. It's crazy. But he made a valid point, though. It in all of those articles, I didn't see where that per, the person that was supposedly possessed said, mm-hmm. I, "I feel like there's something wrong. I, I feel like I might be um, being oppressed or, or be fighting some type of spiritual warfare. Please help me." Nowhere in any of those articles did that happen. So it came across to me as these people only thought that these people were possessed and took it upon themselves to try and free the people of demonic attack. It, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely possible. Uh, you know, obviously articles are often written in third person, uh, so third party may not necessarily understand or know the full circumstance of the situation that they're writing about. Right. So having the the, the description of, oh, this person said they wanted help may not have been available when they were doing the research. Um, and unfortunately that's the way it is in the media today. They leave out the important parts, the little details and only focus on the tragedy aspect of it all, you know? Um, and so that, that is something to think about too. Um, but yeah, one thing that it's, it's just, it just makes sense because even when it comes to when, when coming to Christ, you know, you, you can't just like ask God to, uh, to give somebody salvation, you know, to, pro- to provide someone salvation. You can't just ask him. I mean, you can ask him and hope that it works out that way. Hope that he'll, uh, it'll be according to his will mm-hmm. and that he will then somehow, you know, lead the person to accept the Holy Spirit and want you know, to be a part of the family of Christ. Uh, but to say, God, do this because it's right, even though this person doesn't want to be saved, he's not going to go and just do it because the person themselves need to be saved, you know, like need to want to be saved. It comes down to the personal choice. You know, it's your personal choice of salvation. It's what you decided. Um, and it would make sense as the same way in the reverse. You know, if there's a demonic entity attached to you or even possessing you, then the person needs to have the faith and the want to get rid of the demon. Because if they don't have that, there is no internal battle anymore. The demon has full control already. That it's not going to let go. So, I mean, unless you're Jesus in the flesh who can come down and just snap a finger and that's it. <laughs> the demon's gone. It's just not going to happen in our world today. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it makes sense that, you know, that that would be happening. You know, these people who aren't choosing for themselves. Right. Well, do you think that a, 
a demon can have an influence on that? On whether or not they choose for themselves? Well, yeah, or... that, that they come out and say, I need help. Do you think a demon can basically force them down and, and not allow them to do that? I don't think a demon can actually force anyone to do anything, uh, but they can definitely persuade them okay. not to do something. So if they're putting, if the demon is putting thoughts into the person's mind that maybe it's best, that maybe they're safer having the demon with them, that maybe there's this, this power that they'll lose if the demon leaves, then yeah, I can see that. In fact, story, story time, uh, small story time, confession time even, so I went through demonic oppression and affliction back in 2008. Uh, yeah, 2007, 2008. Uh, horrific time, horrifying. You remember, everybody who's listening to the show in the past knows. Um, despite the fact that Christ is my life and there is that power of God uh, and the feeling of love and the family and ex- you know all of that that God provides for you, I still often think back to that feeling that I had when the demonic presence was in my life. Because there are moments in which I missed that demonic presence, for as sick as that sounds. But that goes to show what demons do and what they're capable of. They're capable of providing you with a certain amount of power, but also keeping you fearful. It's like that balance. You know, it's that weird, sick relationship where you scare someone so bad, but then at the same time, you almost like have to be with them or want to be with that person. You know, it's like an abusive relationship in a sense. Of people, exactly. It's people exactly what it is. Are physically um, abused or anything like that? They stay with the people because they think that's the the form of love from that person is to beat the crap out of them or. Uh, yeah, it's hard to go them. on, and yeah, and so like there are mo- there are moments that I catch myself lying in my bed at night in the dark and thinking like, man, I wish that that something would sit on my bed. You know, I wish I would hear that. No, it sounds, yeah, I know you're laughing. It sounds nuts. That's why I'm It sounds nuts. It sounds nuts. But you talk to people who've actually witnessed that in a deep sense of, of spiritual oppression, who have worked, you know, like lived with it for a long time and realized how that power was. Now it's not for everybody, obviously, um, depending on the situation, demons are going to affect individuals differently. Um, but at the time, there's a sense of power behind it. It's a sense of companionship. Which, of course, is outdone by the companionship of Christ. <laughs> you would hope. Now, you would, oh, yeah. You know, and, and so, but it's one of those where, like, yeah, you know, you think of that, I think of that, and then I become sometimes physically sick with the thought of it. Like, why would I even want that, right. you know, with that thought when... You know, Jesus is right here. He's given me so much more, you know, and he gave me so much more in a month than a demonic oppression did in three months. But I think it's that old, again, going to the, the human relationship mm-hmm. type of mindset. Uh, it is that old relationship. It's not the abuse necessarily, but it's what comfort you found in it at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and at the time it was like, different stories. There's someone always around. I was feeling lonely and depressed at the time. And there was this, there was that, you know, and so it builds up, but yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> Oh man, I know weird guys. It's all weird. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but, but yeah, it's at the same time, you, you can also look back and say, like you're saying, why, why would I want that? I'm, exactly. I'm I'm in the in the place where I'm supposed to be now, so and where I want to be for that matter. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> so like, yeah, you know. But it, it, I guess it, I think for me, what it comes down to, because I mean, come on, I'm a horror writer. I write horror yeah. films uh, and stories, uh, thrillers, things like that. Um, and I've walked in that darkness, that particular side of darkness, for so long, for so many years, that it's a part of me, right? And it'll always be a part of me. Um. And I think that's the spiritual battle that I have to deal with uh, on the greater sense of, uh, in the greater scheme of things. You know, it's realizing like, yes, I write those in that way. I write that genre, but that, and I own that genre, but the genre doesn't own me and it doesn't write me, you know, and I gotta, you really have to figure out the balance of when you can allow 
that idea or the imagination to work up certain stories, but then still allow Christ to reign fully and express your 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 uh, your relationship in Christ to the world around you. And it's difficult, especially when you're writing genres like I write. Uh, and that's another discussion for another time. But yeah. all right, folks. Well, I hope that uh, you guys have enjoyed this episode. Uh, um, definitely check out Carl at carlpain.org and also transfer, transferablecross.org. Uh, and make sure you're checking out all the amazing networks that we're on right now. We're on Conflict Radio, TMV Cafe, Paranormal UK Radio Network, Fringe Radio Network, and RadioandPodcast.com. And also make sure that uh, you pop in and say hello to our friends at ParanormalForum.net who have supported the show for a very long time. So I hope that uh, you guys have a great week. As always, you can get in contact with us on all of the social medias as well as on our website. Check out the Patreon account where you can donate a dollar and start getting Crime Crack, the sister podcast that we have with Heidi Linden. Uh, and you, there's a, a bunch of different tiers with a bunch of different um, rewards. So make sure you check all of that out. So on that note, folks, until you next week where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!